Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Situation Room. I'm joined by my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. I'm Jordan Coe. You guys can check us out on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven Sit Room. And we are here on, you know, a two-game, essentially, de facto two-game lead for the Ravens in the AFC North, a five and three team that, you know, we wanted to see a little bit better performance from overall Gabe, but in the big picture of things, it's hard to be terribly upset about kind of where we're placed within the division. We've seen a lot of teams that were supposed to be better this year, also struggling as well. Um, you know, and if that's the process and that's what we're going to expect, you know, you can't be, you can't be too down on a team that really, you know, should have won a Giants and should have won a Dolphins game and, and maybe even arguably should have won a Buffalo game. Yeah, I mean, we're here almost at the midpoint, you know, eight games in, I guess, however you want to look at it, it's either a midpoint or next after next game is midpoint. So um, I, f- I feel pretty good about where we are. I think, you know, a couple of the games that going into the season that we had, you know, probably considered losses um, have, have been or haven't been. I mean, I think Kansas City was probably a game that was going to be, I mean, not Kansas City, Buffalo was probably a game we we're going to lose most likely, like most people had that as a, as a loss on this on the schedule. I mean, and we hung with them. That was that was a good game. I think you know it showed that these are two teams that aren't that far apart. Um, so I think that's comforting. Obviously, looking back, you'd like to have that as a win. The Ravens came out, you know, guns blazing, got that huge lead. Um, there have been issues in the first half, but I think things are starting to get back on track. Um, Miami Dolphins is another game where you'd, you'd obviously like to have back, but. You know, having leads in the fourth quarter of all these games, easily, like you said, these games could have all been wins. And I think that's the reason why, you know, if you look at betting markets, 
Um, you look at things like DVOA, they kind of signify that the Ravens are a better team than their record based off of what they've been able to do. They've also played one of the hardest schedules up to this point. They've played a lot of good teams. Um, I think, according to DVOA, they've played the uh, third hardest schedule through these first eight weeks. The second half of the season is the 30th hardest schedule, so the third easiest schedule. So you're kind of going from you know, the hard part to a, a softer part of the schedule, getting healthier. Let's see if this team can get rolling. You know, you have a lot of things that are changing, bringing in new players, getting players that are healthy. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential for this team in the second half of the season. Yeah, and, you know, I think so, too. Obviously, this was a team that a lot of people considered a contender before we got into it. There have certainly been some missteps, and it hasn't gone as perfectly as we wanted it to this season. But, you know, part of the reason we waited to do this podcast until um, – now this week was because we wanted to take a look at if the Ravens were going to make a decision that they needed to upgrade how they were looking at kind of what their future cap or future kind of draft pick valuation looked like and what they needed to do moving forward there. And whether, you know, whether you think it's a splash or not, I think a lot of people would think that it is. The Ravens addressed one of maybe the two or three kind of most challenging positions on the team overall and went out and added a guy that is, from a pedigree perspective and a draft perspective, really good. From a stat sheet and a volume perspective, also a guy that's really good. And a name that's relatively well-regarded around the league. Now, it's certainly not Micah Parsons from the inside linebacker position, but I think that – or uh, – um, What's the guy's name in uh, San Francisco? Um, Fred Warner. Yeah, Fred Warner. You know, we're not talking about like kind of that elite, elite inside linebacker guy, but probably a guy that's in that next tier of, of you know, inside linebackers in the league in, in terms of who's being talked about. And so in that second tier, and I think, you know, Shaq Leonard being a guy that's also in that first tier that separates himself out. I'm sure there's some guys that I'm leaving out there. But Roquan being in that second set set of guys – uh, the Ravens said this was an area that needed to be addressed. It was an area that needed some help. You know, how big of an impact do you think he, like, you know, and, and before we get into him as a player, strengths and weaknesses, how big of an impact do you think this is going to be on the team? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting question because I think we've said multiple times in this podcast leading up to the season, during the season, we, we've kind of seen linebacker as a, a weakness and potentially the biggest weakness on the team. Um, I think that, you know, players like Malik Harrison and Patrick Queen have played better than I would expect have expected them to i think they have you know stepped up a little bit at the same time we've seen someone like josh Bynes. i think you know on the decline he hasn't been healthy um bringing someone like aj klein he you know he's kind of a nothing burger um you know christian welch he's he's not really somebody you want out there on defense either so it's they i think the ravens have taken the approach of like throwing a lot of darts at the position and, and seeing what sticks and so far you know, aside from Patrick Queen kind of playing better, it's really been a position of, of weakness this season. So I can definitely see, you know, Roquan Smith as being a player that's, okay, you're, you're getting one of the better linebackers, you know, inside linebackers, middle linebackers in the, in the NFL and injecting him into a defense where you have that need. So from that perspective, I think it, you know, is, is a win for the Ravens. You know, I think they're a better team because of it. Um, I do tend to feel a certain way about the, the, you know, off ball linebacker position. I think it's a bit of an under, or, you know, it's like not a very valuable position on the defense, unless you have like the elite player, like like the Warners of the world, like the Parsons of the world. Um, you know, those guys are, are dynamic. Um, and those are very difficult players to find. I, I think, like you said, Roquan Smith is kind of a tier below that. Um, so I, I think that he definitely kind of brings up another level of talent. There's definitely more speed on the field with him. I think that's something that the Ravens, have have lacked at times. We've seen a lot of kind of these 
you know, short screen games, you know, quick passing, you know, a lot of yard after catch type of pickups against them, used against them. And I think someone like Roquan Smith, who does have that sideline to sideline speed, and I would say is also a very good tackler, and that's something the Ravens have struggled at, especially in the open field. I think that's something that we'll see an improvement immediately in his defense. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's not – He's not necessarily like a perfect player in all aspects, but I think he's going to be an injection of talent and injection of speed. I think that's something that's definitely going to have its merits. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is it seemed like early in, you know, and especially in the Jets game um, and kind of earlier in the season when Marcus Williams was here, the Ravens were kind of using him in a dual role. Like he wasn't just playing kind of like that single high free safety role. He was coming down into the box and he was a high volume tackler. He was seeing a lot of tackles and picking up a lot of action when he was in that role. Obviously the Ravens had some real problems once they got past them into the Miami game in terms of what that looked like for them in terms of what, what they were getting over the top in terms of their defense. So we saw Marcus Williams being taken out of that role a little bit. I wonder if Roquan Smith has the ability to just fill in some of the gaps. Like there were tackles and kind of awareness plays to be made there. And Marcus Williams was making them when he was given that opportunity. Um, the opportunity was taken away, away from him justifiably. And I don't think in a bad way. Now you've got a guy that could come in and potentially fill up the stat sheet in that regard. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that had 17 tackles against the Ravens the last time they played him. Um, there is really nobody on this Ravens team, except maybe Marcus Williams that has logged that kind of number of tackles for this team in in a game yet this year and really over the last few years and so i'm interested to see whether or not just that i wouldn't i wouldn't even call that playmaking but just that cleanup like security blanket ability that may be added by roquan smith that is not elite by any stretch of the mind um, but is just kind of like filling filling in those gaps in that regard could really take this defense a long way because it's just it just feels like a piece that's been missing yeah, I, I think, you know, there's some aspects, you know, that you have where, where you're rallying to the ball and, and bringing that extra guy sometimes limits uh, kind of a, a short gain to that could potentially go for a big gain if, if one or two guys miss a tackle. And having someone like Roquan Smith in there, I think, makes a difference in those situations because he does have the speed to, you know, get to the, where the ball is. Um, he kind of, when he sees sees it, he can also bring, like, quite the thump. You know, he's he's, he's a big hitter. Um when asked to, he's not by any means like shying away from contact. Um, so I, I think in those aspects, especially on like short passes and, and things like that, I think that's where we're going to get the most benefit from him. Um, you know, we're going to dive into a little bit more about him as a, as a player and, and what he brings. Um, I th- he does have some, you know, upside, I think, in coverage. I think especially more so than what we have on the current roster in terms of, you know, Queen and Vines. Um, you know, I think Queen has made some steps, but he's he's definitely not like an elite coverage player. You know, Roquan Smith at his best, I think, is much better than that, especially in his zone. Um, I think he gets really good depth in his drops. He can carry, you know, the guy up the middle and like the Tampa two kind of defense. Um, he he's very quick to identify plays underneath him, like we talked about, like rallying to the ball, um, and and the, and the ability to make the tackle. You know, quick tackle and not letting up those yard after catch. I think that's his strengths. Um, I don't think he's a great, you know, man coverage player, and that's not necessarily a knock on him. It's a really hard job for any inside linebacker to do that against, you know, some of these athletic running backs and tight ends. Um, I don't think that's something that we've seen the linebackers in this defense asked to do very much. And, you know, Mike, Mike McDonald has been more of a zone-heavy player or, um, you know, defensive coordinator since he's taken over. So I think that 
um, kind of is a skill set that's going to work well for the for the Ravens. And then in terms of run defense, this is where I probably have my biggest concerns. Um, you know, if, if you look up like something like Pro Football Focus, they have him graded poorly. I took a I took a look at some of his film and I, I kind of see where that's coming from because he's not the overly physical type of, of run defender in terms of like attacking offensive linemen, shedding blocks. He, sometimes he'll let you get on him and push you down the field. Um, if if he can sift through kind of the offensive line and get to to the ball carrier, he's he's good. He's you know he's sound tackler. But sometimes he'll let you you know kind of be a little bit physical toward him, and he's not really willing to kind of take on that. And I think that is maybe my concern because you know Patrick Queen kind of can be like that too at times. So if your run defense is two kind of undersized linebackers that aren't super aggressive and physical. Um, I have some concerns about how that's going to fit, especially in like the sub packages where you only have like six guys in the box. That's where the Ravens have been hurt in the running game already this season by several different teams. We saw it against the Bengals. We've seen it against the Browns. We've seen it against Tampa Bay. We even saw it against the Jets. You know, we've seen it uh, and and the Dolphins. We've seen a lot of teams you know, kind of spread the the Ravens defense out and attack them in the, by running the ball. Um, I'm not sure that Smith really helps in there, but. Um, I think you kind of take that trade off for his ability in, in coverage and his ability to kind of make tackles um, and be sound on that. So that's kind of how I see it. You know, maybe he takes on a different personality in this defense. The Ravens are a more physical team, I think, than a lot of them out there, and that kind of has some infectiousness to it. So I, I'm excited to see him, you know, play. I think that speed is going to be something that's fun to watch, and I think you know he has some instinctiveness in in, in the in the passing game that's really going to show up for the Ravens. I would I, I'll flip the way we talk about it talk about him and talk about run defense first and then pass defense second. Um, I agree with you in terms of what it looks like you're seeing from Wilkon Smith. I would say the distinction from him is that he's much better at mirroring the running back and staying in his run fit overall. Now sometimes that means you get blocked. Like sometimes your run fit is the one that's going to get stuffed up and you're not going to be able to stay in your gap and you are going to get blocked. And that's going to happen to, you know, unless you are like super, super elite in terms of like who you are as a run defender. But I feel like the Ravens have seen too much of guys over pursuing past their gaps, not staying home, not making sure that they're keeping eyes on the running back. And then that's when the plays seem to get away from them when it gets to kind of that, like, I want to call it the second level, but really like that kind of like somewhere between like the first level and like one, one and a half, where it just feels like nobody is in the right spot and they get away from him. So, or they get away from the defense. So I think that if he could clean that up and just muddle up some of those spots, and even if that means, you know, being blocked, but like not as clean of a lane, then there may be an opportunity for a guy like Patrick Queen, who I think plays a very different style from Roquan Smith. So I think that you're right. Neither of them are elite block shedders, but I think Patrick Queen is kind of like a speed and kind of strength kind of guy, whereas Roquan Smith is much more of like a run fit and awareness kind of guy. And I think that that potential combination could be really effective. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be, but I also think that there's a possibility that Roquan Smith's ability to play the run fits will be one that rubs off on Patrick Queen in the sense that if that's how what the approach is going to look like, he's going to be able to make sure that he's getting to the right spots, they're working on it together, that solves some of those issues. Stuffing up some of those run like those run fits is going to allow your defensive line to make a few more tackles in the process. Maybe that helps against some of those six-man fronts that you were talking about. So it's not a guarantee overall, and there's going to be a really an early test here with the Saints because they're going to run zone. You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to not over-pursue, or Alvin Kamara is going to catch you on the backside. 
Um, Taysom Hill's going to do some weird things, and you're going to have to be disciplined, and you're going to have to go get after him as well. Um, and so, you know, luckily, Roquan Smith has got some familiarity coming from the NFC, having already seen the Saints a little bit. So hopefully that's going to be helpful um, in terms of some of his transition. But there's there's a possibility that he could really add a new dimension <clears throat> to the run defense overall here. I think the second part of that to me is in the passing game. What I really I agree with kind of what you're saying. He gets good depth on his drops. He seems to have great awareness really good kind of kind of getting the drop and then coming downhill to the ball yeah. carrier and making the tackle. But what I also really like about him is he's got really, for a guy of his size, really good hip fluidity and a good understanding of when he needs to turn his hips and using those as kind of like mirroring whoever he's covering or whoever has the ball to do that in the process. And then using that strength to kind of explode to the ball carrier and use that as ability to make those tackles. So Again, I think that just his ability to be a cleanup guy or a defense that hasn't had a cleanup inside linebacker from a tackling perspective in quite some time um, could end up making a really big difference or we find out it makes no difference at all. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty interested to see, you know, whether or not it ends up being kind of the right fit. And at the end of the day, I think that's what Roquan Smith is waiting for, too. That's why he says he doesn't, you know, he's not going to try and sign an extension right away. He wants to see if, you know, the way that the Ravens want to use him fits well uh, in terms of his style and what he wants to do as an inside linebacker. And if he does, you know, maybe you can get him at a, a better value. And he's a guy that the Ravens ultimately end up keeping, um, you know, instead of Patrick Queen. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even know if it necessarily has to be, I guess it probably has to be instead of Patrick Queen, because you're not going to, not going to pay two inside linebackers, you know, probably high end contracts for the position. Um, it, it's an interesting thing to consider the compensation in this because, you know, a second and a fifth, I mean, for, for a rental, it, it's kind of on the steep side. I, I know he's, he's a really good player, you know, all pro pedigree. Um, it's, it's a, Interesting, you know, question as to how the Ravens thought about that. Do they think it's someone they bring in and they want to try and extend, or is it just just a guy we felt like the price is right? It's enough to kind of put us over the top of this defense. And I think, I, th- I think they're probably looking more at this season and saying this is a piece that we need. Um, and and you know, if it if it took this much, that that's part of the price tag when you get somebody basically for free in terms of the the cap space because the, the bears ate the entire cap um, aside from like the weekly game checks and the Ravens gave them back um, AJ Klein. So like they're basically being charged. Like I think that's a total of like hundred K against the cap in the transaction. So from that perspective, it's definitely a win for the Ravens. Um, you know, having still that small amount of wiggle room in order to make some moves that they have to, in terms of picking up players or, you know, whatever last minute moves they might have to make. So I think it's, there's there's definitely some good things um, that can come out of this. Um, you know, losing that second round pick next year stings a little bit, but um, you know if they potentially get a, a compensation, you know, third round pick in the next following draft, if he if he ends up going in free agency, it's it, it's not quite that bad, you know, in terms of overall loss. So I think that it's I, I mean it's really just going to come down to how how much he impacts on the defense, and I think we have to wait and see. Is he is he going to be a player that kind of transforms this defense from being like a middle of the pack team that, you know, has some, some good, you know, things going for it, but also, you know, has some areas of weakness. If he really fills in those areas of weakness and, and takes it over the top, then I think it's a trade that's worthwhile. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, we, 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 as we kind of approach this podcast, thought we'd talk a little bit about some over-unders on where we think the team is going to be, 
Um, you know, we, we got those out there on a couple polls up on Twitter. So hopefully you guys were able to participate and kind of chime in and hear us talk a little bit about where our perspectives are on that. And I think the other big question, the other area that would have been keyed on, I think the three areas that were keys for this team in terms of their weakest positions were inside linebacker, slot cornerback, and wide receiver. And the Ravens chose not to go after a wide receiver, or maybe not not to go after one, but not to pay the price tag that it was going to cost to acquire one or um, or not willing to pay the cap space or the money that it was going to require ultimately to bring one of them in. And that would require an extension, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, obviously keeping an eye towards whatever is going to have to happen with Lamar overall here down the road. But I think ultimately, you know, the big question is, what do we think we're going to get from the Ravens wide receiver core now that we have not changed or added anything? And we know that Rashad Bateman is going to be out at least for the Saints game and potentially maybe for a couple games more than that. Yeah, so I, w- I was looking at, you know, some of the, the production for the Ravens receiving core, um, and if you look at the total number of receptions for the Ravens wide receivers, all, all wide receivers this season, it's a total of uh, 61 through through eight games. So it's, it's not very many. <laughs> um, you know, it, to put, it, put that into perspective, Cooper Cup by himself has 64 receptions already on the season, and, and the Rams have had a bye week. So um, that's kind of where we are in terms of wide receiver production. Um, now, obviously, the Ravens don't pass as much as teams, uh, most other teams, I should say. Um, they also have, you know, Mark Andrews. He has, I think, 42 receptions. So, you know, they, they do, like, it's not like they haven't been passing at all. Um I think Isaiah likely at, at 18 receptions would be like the second most targeted, you know, wide receiver on the team. So that's kind of where we are in terms of like how the Ravens distribute the ball. Um, now I put the number for over under in the second half at 70 receptions. So that would put a total of 131 receptions for all Ravens wide receivers at the end of the season. And right now we're at 61. So do you think 70 receptions will go to the wide receivers? It's basically t- taking the current pace that they're at and projecting it out. So what do you think about that? I'm thinking the under. I think that we saw in the second half of the Tampa Bay game what the Ravens want to do on offense for this year. And I think it can work. I think if they can run the ball effectively from like that format overall, then they're going to find a lot of success on the ground. They're going to use that to set up play action. They're going to be a little bit more under center. They're going to run the ball a little bit more out of zone schemes to let Linderbaum be an effectively blocker. If all those things add up, then we're looking at, you know, you're, you're looking at less wide receiver receptions to be available overall. So I, I agree with that logic, but I'm actually going to take the over, and that's only because Mark Andrews is out. Um, and I think that some of those those targets are going to go to some of the receivers in the next couple of weeks. And we don't know how long Andrews is out for. It's, I mean, nobody has said anything from the Ravens side other than it's, like, not a major injury. Um, that's John Harbaugh's words, and you know how he likes to <laughs> give so much detail about injuries. Um, so, I mean, most people have said it looks like an AC joint sprain. Mark Andrews seems like a tough guy. I could see him actually just missing one game, potentially, um, and coming back after the bye. But, you know, they also might want to take it easy with him. You know, he is a pretty important part of the offense, and the Ravens' schedule is actually pretty easy for the next, like, month or so. So, like, maybe you could, you know, let him get, like, four weeks and just let him completely heal up. So, and the end, I think it's going to be just, you know, they're going to take it slow with him and, and not put it, put him back out there when he's when he's injured. So I think you might get a little bit more. We saw in this past game against Tampa Bay, we actually saw a little bit more 11 personnel than we'd seen 
throughout the season. Um, and not a lot, a huge amount, but we did see it a little bit, especially in the first half. Um, I kind of like that, that spreading out the defense a little bit um, allows you to run. You know, we've talked about this before. allows you to run into boxes that aren't heavy. Um, and we, we did see some good runs against heavy boxes. We also saw some good runs against light boxes. So I, I think that's a tendency that I'd like to continue to see. You know, you can't always be running out of spread, but I think just having that option gives you, you know, a few more, you know, plays in your playbook, so to speak. So I think what we saw from Greg Roman in that second half of the Tampa Bay game was was really good. You know, he did a lot of things, a lot a lot more motion than I think we saw the week before against Cleveland, a lot a little bit more diversity in personnel and formation. Um, you know, we saw the jet sweeps to Devin Duvernay. We saw more zone, like, you know, wide zone, like we've, we've talked about um, to kind of get Linderbaum involved. So I think that's where this team is at its best when it's, it's you know, using RPOs, using play action, using motions. That's how you make the job easier for the, for the offense. And I think that's what we all want to see. You know, you have one of the most dynamic players under center. You don't necessarily have to have the most elite weapons around them because he makes it all better, especially with the way the offensive line is playing. You lean on Lamar, you lean on the offensive line, and you kind of try to keep defenses honest by throwing different looks at them and, and using, you know, different kind of, you know, whether it's play action or RPO and keeping them off balance. And that's how you put together, uh, you know, continuous offensive drives. You rip off a couple of long runs and all of a sudden you're in scoring territory. So I, I think I have a good feeling for, for the Ravens in the second half in terms of their offense. It doesn't have to be wide receiver centric. It's obviously going to be a lot of running game like you, you talked about. But I do think there might be an increase in targets a little bit just because it's been so low in, in the first half. And, you know, even with Bateman out, we, we've seen guys like Duvernay step up. He leads the wide receivers in, in, in targets. Um, you know, I think Demarcus Robinson has played well, so I think there's upside there. So that, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. I'm hoping that, you know, they don't completely abandon the wide receiver position in the second half. Yeah, I, I mean, so if you go back and look at what the offense looked like in 2019, you're looking at about seven catches a game for wide receivers overall as well. Which puts you at the un, at the under by almost seven catches or a game's worth of catches, um, you know, because if there are nine games left, that's sixty three catches for your over under. Um, that's a happy place for the Ravens to live and a safe place for them to live, a comfortable place for Greg Roman to call the plays. I mean, at the end of the day, you might have been happier to see more eleven personnel, and I personally would like to see more 11 personnel as well out of this team because I think they can do more with it. I think Greg Roman cannot call an effective offense out of 11 personnel. We, that's what we, that, I mean, you look at the first half of what the Ravens did in Tampa last week, and it was just a total, absolutely nightmare mess. Like the, the reads, the routes, the combos, everything that they were just trying to set up and do just seemed to make absolutely no sense, have no rhyme, no rhythm, no approach, no strategy that were going to be ones that were effective. And if that's the starting point of what we have to work with, I, I, you know, do what works. And if Gus Edwards is going to come back and look as good as he has so far and continue to perform from what we've seen from him, if Isaiah likely is going to continue to grow um, and be more of a threat and be able to take some of that pressure off of Mark Andrews and do it that way. Um, I just think that, I, I think that there is a very like, or there's a, more than reasonable potential that they can find their way back into that 2019 style groove. And the thing that jumped out to me the most in the Tampa game in that regard was in the fourth quarter when they needed to kind of run out the clock, the Ravens were still running the ball and doing so effectively. There was the big, the big run from Kenyon Drake 
running the ball, doing so effectively, even though Tampa knew that that's what they were going to do, and even though they knew that, that it was coming. I think the other piece that, and I've said this a few times on the podcast so far this year, is that I think that the Ravens have been holding Lamar Jackson back in terms of what they've asked him to do as a runner as well. Um, and I think that if you want to, if you want to have an effective running game, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson has to be a legitimate threat to those teams. I think that in the Cleveland game, you know, we saw Lamar Jackson just, you know, Cleveland didn't seem to be taking him seriously as a running threat, and the Ravens didn't seem to be employing him as a running threat legitimately in the kind of the first half and really into the third quarter of that game. Um, and so are you going to open that piece of the playbook up? Are you going to give Lamar some of those options? Are you going to let him do some more of that reading, keep some of the ball and move the ball forward? Because once they started to do that in the second half, like we saw a couple big runs from Lamar Jackson in the third quarter against Tampa, and then everything just opened up after that. Um, and so, you know, I want Lamar to be healthy. I want them to protect him. But if you're going to lean heavy into the run, you've got to do the things that are going to open up the running game in other places for you. And that's letting Lamar Jackson do the read option, run QB power, and make some decisions on his own and break teams with his with his legs because they know that, that it's the hardest play in football to stop right now. Yeah, I mean, the first play of the second half was um, that the long run Lamar had, the first Ravens play. Um, he had, like I think, a 30-yarder. Um, it was just perfectly well executed and you know, he made a couple guys miss, I think probably like three or four guys miss. Um, and he's just so hard to, to bring down in the open field. So I, I agree with you. I think Lamar has to be a, a featured person in the offense. It doesn't mean he has to run the ball, you know, 15 or 20 times. But I think there's a sweet spot of like maybe like, you know, seven, eight, nine runs per game that keep defenses honest. Um, if, if he can rip off, you know, eight to 10 yards on, on those runs, maybe break one for a touchdown. We've seen him do that plenty of times in the past. That's... I think that's where this offense is at its best. Um, I, I think it allows the running backs more, you know, wiggle room and more more room because you know the defenders don't crash on them quite so aggressively. So and and then also I would say I, w- I still want to see De- Devin Duvernay get those motion looks. Like even if he's not getting the ball, that speed to threaten you know horizontally is something that this team really needs and and maybe you can use justice hill a little bit like that as well but duvernay is the, the probably the best option on the team to do that he's proven that he's capable um and he's and he's someone and i guess that doesn't really count as a as a reception for a wide receiver unless it's a pop pass so i'll take that if it is but um it, it's getting your wide receiver your playmaker involved in the game and i think that's something that when he's doing that this offense is probably at his best yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, and hopefully J.K. Dobbins is a guy that get, comes back and is healthy, also allows them to stretch that, that stretch teams laterally. You know, the Ravens just need to be willing to kind of do that, to stretch teams both kind of vertically and yeah. horizontally in terms of the run game. And we saw Linderbaum look really, really good. I'll bring him up again. Obviously, he was highlighted significantly so both during the broadcast and after the game in terms of some real highlight blocks that he put on Devin White. And so the Ravens have got to figure out a way of how to get Linderbaum in space in front of guys like Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards and Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill. Because if they do that, those guys are going to break out some long runs in the process. Um, and those are the backbreaking ones for these teams overall. Because you've got a guy like Justin Tucker. If you can get it over the 40-yard line, you can put up points. The Ravens are just going to be a really challenging team to beat. Um and you think about why they're going to be a challenging team to beat. We'll kind of move on here from the offense and the wide receivers a little bit. But part of that is also this defense, right? We've seen them at Roquan Smith, but we are now finally at that point where it feels like 
the reinforcements that we were promised are about to arrive in terms of the defense. Justin Houston is back and has looked fantastic in that process. Um, Pierre Paul, as he's getting his legs underneath him and kind of getting up to game speed, has has given you a couple flashes and moments in terms of what he's given you. Um, you're going to have Owe has looked great in terms of the rush. He's being held constantly, um, doing really good things. And now you've got Tyus Bowser and David Ajabo coming out of practice, being ready to come in, contribute and play. Um, and you've seen really good play from the defensive line. Travis Jones throwing people around like a rag doll. Um, Broderick Washington playing exceptionally well. Calais Campbell was, you know, out with an injury this past week. The defensive line did not seem to miss a beat. Justin Matabike has two or three exceptional spla- splash plays every game. Um, this is a group that can get after the passer um, and, quite frankly, has gotten after the passer. They they have 23 sacks on the year. I think that's fifth overall in the league, and that is without some of these reinforcements that we've talked about, learning a new scheme and trying to kind of get adjusted to some of the pieces that they're bringing on board as well. Um, and so, to me, you know, that's a big question. Is this, especially if this is a team that is going to have a double-digit lead, which it seems like they, they're more than capable of doing and have done a few times this year already, and they get after the quarterback when the other teams are trying to throw the ball and continue to, to ramp up those sacks. And so, you know, if we set over the similar pace, we set an over-under at 26 sacks for the year, uh, or for the second half in the remaining nine games, you think the Ravens are going to be over or under that, that 26 sack total? So I think they have a chance to be over. Um, and that, that may seem like aggressive, but I didn't think the Ravens would be sitting at 23 sacks through, through eight games either. And, you know, for all of the complaints that we, we kind of see on, on Twitter about the, the lack of the Ravens pass rush. And I think on a per play basis, it hasn't been as dominant as, you know, anybody would want to see, but it has been good enough, I think. And they're still in the top, like what, like five or six in the league in terms of sack number. Um, we've seen in the past, you know, maybe the Ravens have gotten more pressure on a like a per play basis but they haven't been getting the sacks you know sacks are the plays that actually really put a, def- a defense in a better position like that you're losing yardage like that matters like yes i mean pressure affecting the quarterback that that also matters though like obviously anytime you can you know, affect a play it's important but like the sack is the one that really you know gets you off the field a lot of the time so I think, you know, being able to finish, like, you know, Justin Houston had, I think, like, three and a half sacks last year, four and a half sacks, maybe more than that. I don't know. It wasn't very many, but he was constantly, like, kind of in the backfield. He's converting them this year. So I don't know if that's just kind of, like, luck. You know, maybe the the it's, it might also help, I think, the back-end scheme. Like, when, I don't want to take too much time talking about that, but, like, playing a zone in the back as opposed to playing man actually allows your pass rush more time to get home because – the openings aren't always there quickly. And if they aren't there, then the quarterback is forced to take an extra half second, second to kind of find the open receiver. And that sometimes allows the pass rush to get home. So that kind of change and going from like a, maybe a, you know, a blitz heavy kind of wink Martindale, five, six guys where you're either getting there quickly or not getting there at all. And, but there is generally an open receiver if, if the quarterback can find him or versus this, you know, bring four or maybe do like kind of like a, a fire zone, you know, where you're bringing guys over, overloaded on one side, but still like kind of taking up a couple of passing lanes with like your defensive line dropping or whatever it may be. I think it's, it's just a more um, pass rush friendly defense that the Ravens are playing in. And now that you have someone like Tyus Bowser coming back, who can really be that kind of dual threat, who can actually be an extremely effective dropper in coverage, that's going to help the Ravens out a lot. In addition to um, um, Roquan Smith, obviously. And then, you know, having someone like, um, a, 
Ajabo, who we haven't seen, but you know he is familiar with his defense. He played in Mike McDonald's defense in Michigan last year, so I think I saw a quote from him today. It says he he's, he knows the playbook, like he knows the scheme. He just has to get out there, and it might be a week before we see him out there. It wouldn't surprise me if he's inactive. Um, you know, his injury was a little earlier um, than Bowser's was. I mean, they had to activate them to their active roster because they had their three-week window. So he might be active, he might not be. But if you have, you know, a rotation of five guys on the edge, instead of having to bring up your 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 Canards and your Copelands and your Means and whoever this kind of like poo-poo platter or Eric Harrison, like guys who are really not like ideal players and you're having to give them snaps and you're having to put a way out there for like 80% of the snaps, getting them on more of a rotation, getting them out there in a place where they're more suited to, you know, actually pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. This is potentially going to be one of the, better defensive fronts in the in the NFL. Combine that with, you know, your top cover guys like Peters and Humphrey on the outside. And this is potentially one of the, you know, better defenses in the in the NFL. And I think that's something that's really exciting to look forward to. Yeah, I, I would I, I I mean I genuinely agree with you and I think that the defense is going to be a high performing one. I taking a look at teams in terms of sacks allowed the bottom nine of the teams the Ravens are playing left on the schedule of the nine, they get the Bengals once who are, are second worst. They get the Broncos who are sixth worst. They get the Steelers twice who are eighth worst. And they get the Panthers who are ninth worst. Um, the Falcons are like 13th worst. Um, and so that is, that's a big chunk of the games. The other three games, the Browns, the Saints, and the Jags are actually pretty high up in terms of sacks allowed. And I think part of that is just their scheme and getting the ball out. Who knows what the Browns will look like when Deshaun Watson comes back. That game could be a little bit of a nightmare for them as they're trying to kind of get all meshed up and back together. So it's a bit of a wild card. But I would say I would say with that kind of scope of bad offensive lines, and especially with the Steelers game kind of looming, that, that there's some anticipation that ultimately uh, the over in terms of sacks are going to be there. And I like the upside of this defense and what they're going to be able to do. And, and hopefully – Again, hopefully the cleanup from Roquan Smith is the difference maker in terms of what's happening on the offense. And maybe if that's the case, it ends up actually being that we get less sacks because there are fewer plays and fewer drives and the team is kind of on the field a little bit less. Because we've seen some of these kind of like third and six, seven, eight, nines get converted for first downs in kind of like ugly ways. Um, and if the Ravens can clean some of those up in the process, they're going to ideally see a few less sacks in that process as well. So um, the talent is there, though, and they look good. Um, and it really begs the question of who this team really is overall. You know, are these uh, – who is this Ravens team, right? Five and three is, is not all that thrilling of a record, but the games that they've lost have been close overall. And if you look at some of these advanced metrics that we've seen, um, you know, and if you buy into those, and, you know, whether you do or whether you don't is kind of here or there – um, let's talk a little bit about DVOA because the Ravens have a very good DVOA overall. I think what as a team are they fourth? Is is that where they are now or third? It, it depends on how you look at the weightedness, but it's like either third or fourth. Um, so yeah. they're they're definitely like when you look at just kind of like play by play, and 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 the important part about this is is the weighted part because you're looking at and defense adjusted. So the t- you're basing it off how other teams are playing other teams. So you know, that's taking, like, basically the Ravens' schedule into consideration. They've played some good teams, good defensive teams, but good offensive teams. So that is factored into how why the Ravens are so high because, you know, they've been in these games. Like, they've played well for the most part. Um, they have had these, like, kind of mini collapses in, in several games that lead to losses. But still, over, like, 
you know, three quarters of these games are over two quarters. They look really good. And then, like, yeah, they they may, maybe you can't they haven't really put together that full game yet. And that's something that's interesting to me as well because they re- they really haven't had a full game performance yet in all facets. Like they haven't had their best performance. So that's something that's interesting to think about. You know, this is still a team that's kind of figuring things out both offensively and defensively. The, I mean, the one thing they've been steady at is special teams. I think obviously, you know, Justin Tucker, he's He's the goat. You know, he's he's the best that we, that's ever done it. Um, you know, we I've had some complaints about Jordan Stout. But I feel like he's improved over the course of the season. He had a few punts earlier on that were kind of like I don't know what we spent a fourth round pick on, but we we've seen him boom a few, and, and he's done a better job I think of pinning teams. So I'll, I'll I'll give him credit. He's obviously been great as a holder as well. So I'm I'm happy with that. Um, and then. You know, I think the, the coverage has has generally been pretty good. You know, Devin DuVernay on, on returns has done great. We've got a touchdown out of him on a kicker return. Um, and, he, and he's been, you know, when given space in punt returns, he's been, you know, electric in that as well. So I think, you know, all around, you know, the Ravens are a very well-rounded team. So I was looking at, um, just looking at breaking it down between offense and defense. So this was a little bit surprising to me because I know that early on the Ravens were you know, very good on offense, like explosive plays, um, but that that kind of went away. But still, on a play by play basis, they're second rated offense in, by DVOA. Um, so my question: Do you think by the end of the season they'll be in the top five? Now, if we think about 2019, they were like the first offense by like a country mile. It was a massive difference between them and any other team. They were one of the historically best offenses ever by that metric, by many metrics. So, you think this season, all the things we talked about, you know, lack of wide receivers, but you know. Lamar, the rest of the running game, do you think top five is reasonable? Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't hold the level that it's at. Unless unless the, the Ravens continue to kind of like get in their heads about play calling. If they can figure out the balance of what they want to do with the running game, they can narrow. Like you don't have to let Lamar throw the ball 30 times a game to showcase his arm, right? Like showcase his arm in the right places, in the right ways, in a timely fashion, and he's going to light it up. Um, in those instances so so getting back to those basics I think that it's going to be there and at the end of the day I think it's the schedule that aids a lot of that you've got a pretty easy schedule overall here they're going to New Orleans against kind of like a mediocre-ish defense they're you know maybe top third in the league but maybe you know by some other metrics is half in the league Um, they're going to light up the Panthers I think that you know there's there are a couple decent defenses down the down the stretch here you know but I, I think overall um, I expect the Ravens to continue this performance. The other piece to me is that the running game is back. The running, running, you know, how that those parts have come together. And there have just been, I don't know, maybe five or six plays this, this year that have should have been like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yard plays, touchdowns that like just, just didn't quite happen. Um, and so like we've seen a bunch of times that people have kind of like just tripped over the other guy's foot that's blocking in front of him. Lamar's gotten taken down by the shoe blazes like twice. Like he should have, Lamar should have scored on that toss play for Mark Andrews as an example, um, where he just went down. I can think of like three or four other plays where guys just kind of like got their feet tangled up, should have been touchdowns. And so I think if that continues to be the trend, I, I see no reason why this offense would regress. And I don't see any offense that should be kind of breathing down the neck of the Ravens that's going to pass them in that process. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we can talk, have the same conversation on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they, they've had more struggles, I think, defensively than offensively this year. Um, especially, you know, a few games come to mind. You know, the Miami game, 
um, they really, you know, just kind of got lit up in that one. Um, they, they haven't been, aside from that, like really kind of like crushed by anybody. Um, but they, they've had, you know, these kind of moments where they just give up, give up a drive or back to back drives where they look like they, they just can't stop anything. And, and that's been frustrating. So there's been a little bit, a little bit of lack of consistency. And I think that's kind of reason why the DVO, I think they're DVOA, there's 17th right now. Um, and they started out really low, so they're actually ascending. Um, they're getting better. Um, but I was, I'm thinking, you know, if, if they're in the top 12 by the end of the season, I'll be pretty happy. Um, I think there's a chance they could even, you know, get into like more of like the top five to top eight range. If, if you know, this like Roquan Smith kind of situation goes well, obviously with the, with the other guys we talked about, but I think if, if they are top five offense and a top 12 defense and still continue to be like a top one or two special teams, that's a pretty good place to be. So what do you think? Top 12 defense, you expect them to get to there? Yeah, I do, especially with the kind of the reinforcements coming back. I mean, if Marcus Williams comes back late in the year, as we expect, Roquan Smith is even just kind of like the baseline of what we expect from him and not more that there is upside beyond that. If Tyus Bowser, his ability to play the Sam and kind of take away some of the bad snaps, not bad snaps, but like asking Malik Harrison to do more than some some of the things that he's capable of, asking OA to not be in position in those instances, not giving the rest to Justin Houston and Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, especially now that we're seeing Travis Jones get healthy. I mean, I can only imagine this defensive rotation if Michael Pierce was ultimately ended up staying healthy. So, you know, slot corner is the spot that worries me, but I'd mm-hmm. be more than happy to push Marlon Humphrey into the slot. It's not always going to happen, but he should be following – top end receivers into the slot. So like if they're the Jamar Chase is moving into the slot during the Cincinnati game, Godwin is a very good player. So that's why Marlon Humphrey goes into the slot. Like if they're th- if the third receiver on the other team is not an elite guy, you know, let's stay with Pepe Williams. Let's stay with Brandon Stevens. Let's see how that works out. If that's the place that they're trying to abuse and get after the team, move Marlon Humphrey inside and, and your, your kind of weakness there goes away to some degree. So, um, and not a lot of teams have three great wide receivers to be honest. Um, so I think there's upside in this defense too. I think I think five spots is, you know, not a huge ask for this team overall. And when you think about what that looks like, that's basically kind of switching from, you know, a 2%, you know, giveaway to a 2% takeaway in how DVOA values these kind of things. And it shouldn't take long. It should only be a couple really good games from this defense to move up the ranks. Yeah. Um, I think there's an interesting, I was, look, I was looking at um, some charting for, for Marlon Humphrey, because you mentioned the slot corner, and and he's had a couple games where he has played more in the slot. Um, so week one, he played a lot in the slot, like 30 snaps. And then week three, he played almost half his snaps in the slot. And this past week against Tampa Bay, he played about um, a third of them um, in, in the slot. So I think there is, depending on game plan, you know, an idea to get him in there. And maybe it's partially because... It just looks at you know looking at who who's available um, on the other side of the ball. Like what what are the what are the wide receivers they're playing against? Who's what's the matchup looking like? In some instances, you want to put Humphrey in the slot. I think you can kind of follow what, if one of your best receivers in the slot. Like in this past week, Chris Godwin he plays a lot in the slot, so it makes sense to put Humphrey over him um, and let someone like Brandon Stevens play on the outside. So I think you know it's just, it might just be a weekly kind of thing, a matchup kind of thing. And we have seen a lot of Demarion Williams in the slot. We've seen some Stevens in the slot. We've seen some Darius Washington in the slot. So the Ravens have options, you know, depending on how they want to, you know, do it. But I think having that flexibility is is good. Um, 
I agree with you that that to me is probably the one big question mark about who kind of steps up into that role. And maybe the answer is nobody has to step up into it. And it's just a kind of a week by week, matchup by matchup. As long as you have a good game plan and you're willing to adjust if it's not working, um, like we saw against New England, you know, they made an adjustment when it when it wasn't working, um, and and that kind of led to a win there. So I think that's something that is going to be important for this team to being able to like look at what's working, what's not working, and make a change if it's needed. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch how both sides of the ball develop. The, the Ravens have not hit their stride and played their best ball on either side um, for a full four quarters. And I am totally okay with them figuring out what that looks like over the next two or three weeks. Getting into December, you got four or five divisional games to round out the end of the year. You can win, you know, you can win all of, or is it four or is it, yeah, four of the last five because they have to play the Steelers twice. Um, there's a chance that, you know, you run the table in those games that you're going to win the division no matter what. Um, and even if they misstep with in one of these other games that they've got on the schedule as well, get you into the playoffs, get into a rhythm, figure out what you're going to be doing. And, um, you know, this is a team that, that's going to have a shot. It's not, Lamar's not going to win MVP this year. They're not going to, it's not going to be pretty in terms of the process, I think, in the end game of what it looks like. But I do think that there is a good chance that when this is all said and done, the Ravens are, are still considered to be a pretty serious contender uh, once the playoffs start. Yeah, I, th- I think the Ravens are, I mean, I think it's pre- kind of obvious to state that they're in the driver's seat in the division right now. Um, you know, the the Bengals are 0-3 in the division. Um, that's going to haunt them this year. And having the head-to-head loss to the Ravens, um, so at best they're they're 1-1 one one with the Ravens. Um, so they basically have to have a better record than the Ravens in order to win the division. And I think the Browns are already too far behind to get there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe we'll see with them, but I think it's going to be tough um, for both those teams to kind of, you know, really contend with the Ravens. They both have harder schedules down the stretch than the Ravens do. So I do like, you know, if, if you can get the number three seed, I think that seems likely. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a three seed coming out of the AFC South. I don't think any of those teams are good enough. I mean, I know the Titans technically have a better record than the Ravens do right now. They're not a better team than the Ravens. They have a negative uh, point diff at this point. Um, and, and they're kind of doing it, you know, I, I don't know how they're doing it, to be honest. Um, that's, that's kind of a schedule thing, too. So um, I, I'd like, you know, where they're at. I think, you know, there's huge, you know, upside with this team. You know, I I had them at 12-5 and five, um, record-wise, Um at the beginning of the season, and I think that's still within reach. Uh, I think they can, you know, be a team that only takes, you know, one or two more losses the rest of the season. Um, whether that puts them in the, in the two seed or three seed, I think, you know, one seed is probably out of reach, but um, they're, they're going to have, you know, potential to, to make some moves um, in terms of, you know, climbing up those, those like power rankings or however you want to look at it and be there at, as, a, as a real Super Bowl contender. And then, We've already seen the Bills once. You know, the, the Bills, you know, added a running back, but they didn't make any huge additions. Um, so I, I think both these teams are, are looking like they, they're two of the top three teams in the AFC, and, and everybody else is kind of going to be scrapping for, for the for the table scraps, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully the Ravens continue to tighten things up, get in line. It's a good time to going to have the extra day as it was related to the Thursday night game. Got to buy on the other side of that. Get healthy, get strategic, figure out what you're doing. 
Let's get it in line. I don't want to be talking about firing Greg Roman anymore this year. Um, let's hope all this stuff trends in the right direction, that Lamar kind of tightens up some of the mechanical stuff that we've seen. There are easy fixes to a lot of the things that feel like they haven't gone right for the Ravens so far this season. And so I think as a result of that, um, there's a really good opportunity for this team to still be really successful this year. So uh, any closing thoughts about what you see for the Ravens for the rest of the season? I mean, I think we've, we've hit on most of it. I think, at, you know, we talked about this kind of bigger picture thing. It's, it's really comes down to Lamar Jackson and, and how well he plays this, this he's really the engine of this team. Like if he looks like he's at his peak performance and, and, you know, playing like MVP Lamar, I think this team is as good as any team in the NFL. Um, if, if Lamar Jackson is kind of at like, you know, 75 to 80% Lamar, and maybe that's partially scheme and partially him, you know, not being at his best, then it's going to be kind of the ugly games we've seen so far this season. So everything, everything kind of, you know, stems from that. I do think, you know, getting pieces back on defense will help. And if they can kind of get some of these bigger two score leads and hold on to them with a better defense, it's going to make the whole rest of the season look a lot cleaner and a lot more fun to watch. Especially, you know, when you start seeing some of these like 14 to 20 point leads that we saw back in 2019, and then letting the the defense just kind of go and, and have and have fun out there, you know, really attacking opposing teams as they're having to claw their way back into a game. I think that's this Ravens team at the best. I hope we get to that point. Um, I think they had the potential to do that, but it, it really does depend a lot, I think, on on how well you know number eight plays. Yeah, totally agree. Well, you guys can check us out on Twitter. We'll be talking about the Ravens all through the rest of the season. Um, seeing if Lamar plays at that level that we need him to do to be at. Um, see if the Ravens can, you know, make a serious run here into the playoffs. I think it's exciting. You know, there, there are exciting potential still left on the table for this team. Um, and we're going to be excited to talk about that. So um, thanks for listening in. Make sure you check out our analysis and uh, you guys can find us. I'm at Raven sit room. He's at Gabe Fergie. And uh, we hope you join us next time in the situation room. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.